Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. We pray that you come and settle upon George today and fill George today and anoint him today. I pray, God, you'll give him clarity of thought, that he will be sensitive to your leading and to your guiding. Thank you for the words that he has prepared. Thank you for your word, which is alive. And I pray, God, that we as a congregation would have ears and hearts that are open. We wouldn't just be hearers of your word. We would be doers of your word as well. So speak powerfully through George, your servant. Encourage him and equip him and come in power today. And we ask this in your name for your glory. Amen. Morning, everyone. Um, Our reading this morning is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 7, begin to read at verse 1. It's page 230 in the Bibles in the seats in front of you. 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning to read at verse 1. Now the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord, and they brought it to the house of Abinadad on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to took charge of the ark of the Lord. And from that day, the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim. A long time passed, some 20 years, and all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and drag your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on the day, and they said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel stood and took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called it Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Egron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel all in all these places. Then he would return to Ramath, for his home was there. And there he also judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. A bit of a long reading 
this morning. And, and we're going to look at this 1 Samuel 7. And the title for this morning is Wholesale Revival. And I think I need to give a bit of background before we look into that. The book of Samuel opens, 1 Samuel opens with a, with a woman who is heartbroken because she cannot bear a child. That's the way 1 Samuel opens. And three times a year was the custom. She would accompany her husband and go to the tabernacle in Shylock to worship and sacrifice to God. And her prayer would be, Lord, would you give me a child? And we read at the very beginning, 1 Samuel 1 verse 11, her prayer. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. Lord, give me a son and I will give him back. And that's exactly what happens. The Lord gives her a son, Samuel. And she dedicates her son, his whole life, to serving the Lord. Once he's old enough, she's take, he t- she takes him to the temple, to Eli the priest, and there he serves in the temple. You know, Samuel was Israel's last judge. And he was the first priest and prophet to serve during the time of the kings. And as you read chapters 4, 5, and 6 of 1 Samuel, you'll see that the Israelites have been oppressed by the Philistines. In fact, they, 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 they war, and the Philistines win. They defeat the Israelites, but that is bad enough. But what's actually worse, the Israelites take the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that contains the, the stone tablets that, that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, they take that into battle with them. And not only do they lose the battle, they lose the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the sign of God's presence amongst his people. However, we also discover that when the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant, it wasn't such a good thing. Because every place that they took it, there was destruction or death or, or sickness. And actually only after seven months, they decide, we've had enough of this. And they give it back, or they send it back to the Israelites. And that's where chapter 7 opens. The Ark of the Covenant is taken to a place called Kiriath-Jerim, which is approximately seven or eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. And the Ark's placed in the house of a guy called Abinadad. And it's guarded by his son Eleazar. However, even though the Ark is returned to the people. God's blessing and God's favor has not returned. Even though the ark is now again amongst God's people, God's blessing isn't there. And the reason for this was the people had disobeyed God. They were far from God. And we're told that 20 years pass, and then 20 years to face the judgment of God And then something happens. Something happens. There comes this realization that they actually need God. There's a realization that they have wandered far from him. We're told in verse 3, all the house of Israel lamented 
after the Lord. Another version puts it like this. They mourned and they sought after the Lord. The Lord loves it when we seek after him. You know, the realization comes upon them. They've sinned and they've been disobedient to God. And they're in the place that they're at because of that. You know, over 100 days of prayer, we're praying for a great awakening in our souls, our city, and our land. And some of us might think, well, is that actually possible? Or some might say, it's impossible. But this is what happens in this story from 1 Samuel 7. And it begins with awakening to sin. And actually, that always begins in the individual's heart. You see, if we're not aware of our sin, we see no need of forgiveness and grace. That means in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, the promise of him coming again, well, it means nothing to us, or so we perceive it means nothing to us. We can happily go through life either believing that when this life is over, well, that's it, or when this life is over, we all go to a better place except the really bad people. We don't need God. We don't need faith. We don't need religion. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want. We make the rules. And if there is a God, well, then he must follow our rules. He must follow us. In some way, at least, that's where the people of Israel are at. They believe in God okay. They just like to pick and mix with the world. And they choose their own faith journey. Didn't get them to a good place. But then they become awake to their sinfulness. All of a sudden, not all of a sudden, over a a period of time, they discover, well, actually, we've got it wrong. You know, the first step on our journey back to God is the realization of sin and how it separates us from him. You know, we're told in 2 Corinthians 4 that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They can't see. They don't understand. But the psalmist cries in Psalm 57, Awake, my soul, awake. You know, and this isn't only for those that's out there. It's actually for us in here too. The psalmist in Psalm 19 writes, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. You know, we all sin, and actually we all have sinned at times we cannot see. You know, our prayer for ourselves, our prayer for our community, this nation, should be, Lord, reveal to me my sin. It's not a prayer we'd really maybe like to pray, but it's actually really, really important. See, this morning, are you aware of your sin? You know, it's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing to be aware of your sin because look what happened to the people of Israel. They are awakened to their sinfulness and their separation from God. And what happens? They repent. They repent. 
and a great revival takes place from the realization. You know, repentance has sort of become a bit of a dirty word today. We don't like it. Don't like it outside the church, and at times we don't like it inside the church. But as you see from this passage, that repentance isn't only just words, it's actually a total turnaround. Then Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away all the foreign gods and asterisks from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So Israel put away the Baals and the asterisks, and they served the Lord only. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people at Mizpah. You know, it's easy in many ways to say a prayer and proclaim that we follow Jesus. But is there evidence in our lives that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has take, taken up residence within us? Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, that we're full of the Holy Spirit? See, true repentance means a change in behavior, a change and lifestyle, a change in outlook on how we see the world and how we see ourselves. It's a change in a way of thinking and how we view and respond actually to the world around us. It means transformation. And we see this in our passage. Out went the foreign gods, they fasted and they prayed. So what's the result of all this? the result of, of seeking after God, of confessing sin, of repenting. What's the result of this faith revival? We we're told when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against them. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel and the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. You know, the Philistines had already defeated the Israelites on more than one occasion. They knew they could take them out. It was simple. They'd done it over and over again. They were oppressing them. So here's another opportunity. This is another opportunity to show who they are. But it was different this time. It was different this time. The Lord of heaven's armies was now fighting his people's battles. And that changes everything. The result was victory, was peace, was a people living in safety. Was God once more at the center of his people? He was once more their savior and their redeemer. You know, we all face battles in our lives. But probably the most difficult battle, and one maybe we don't think about that much, is the battle that we fight to be the person or the people that God has called us to be. 
You see, with God fighting that battle, we will win. Without God fighting that battle for us, defeat is inevitable. That's what we've seen with the people of God. They tried to do it themselves. They tried to be the people of God without God. Didn't work. You know, all around us are things that can so easy take us away from God, can so easy become God for us. Temptations, distraction, busyness, laziness, the list can go on and on. You know, as the culture and society around us is changing so fast, you know, what Scripture says in regard to lifestyle, to behavior, to relationships, to marriage, to family, to sexuality, seems so out of step with the world. And it's so easy to let the world shape who we are, what we believe, and how we behave. It's frightening, actually. A lot of the times, we're, more, we're far more shaped by what's in social media and by what God's Word says. We're, we're, we're shaped by what society is throwing at us and telling us what is right and what is wrong, rather than what God's Word says. You know, I'm sure the Israelites just didn't wake up one morning and say, we're going to follow foreign gods. We're going to worship foreign gods. It was just bit by bit by bit. They'd come in from the culture around them, from people in their own community who brought other things in. It, it would have crept in slowly. And then it become the norm. You know, I was listening to the radio the other morning and, and, and there was a conversation on and somebody said something really striking. And it was a conversation, um, wasn't in Christian terms at all. But it was relating to something that, that, that to do with church and what we as a church believe. And the commentator said this, they just have to get used to the new norm. We don't have to get used to the new norm. And, you know, I wonder, for me, for you, for the church, for this community, for the nation, what has become the new norm in our thinking or behavior that is, in fact, disobedient to God? What is it for us individuals? What is it for a church? Whatever. What we see from this story is when the people of Israel, when they realize their sinfulness, when they realize that they're actually, they're trying to do things their own way, when they realize that other things have become God in their life, they repent and they let God be king, revival comes. A whole nation is, is changed, is transformed. And for, for revival to come, it must come in me and you first. It's not about out there, it's about in here. Revival in a nation, in a city, in a community, in a church is about revival in the individual. It's about us. You know, Jesus has commanded and commissioned us to go into all the world with the good news of the gospel. Not our good news, but the good news of the gospel. And he's promised to go with us. He's actually promised to anoint us to do it. But that will only happen when Christ is birthed in us, and more than that, when we allow His Word to shape our lives and His Spirit so to fill us with a passion for Jesus that we're compelled to go. 
You see, wholesale revival is possible. It's actually very close. But it must start in us. It must start in us. If we want to see this nation changed, it starts in here. And it starts in here. Amen.